has an outline that says on the top, Effective Kingdom Prayer Series. Go ahead and start me uh, if you haven't. So again, uh, we, you should have an outline that says Effective Kingdom Prayer Series, Chapter 3, Five Types of Prayer, Chapter 3C, Petitions, Supplications, and Requests with Thanksgiving. Now, I've, I invited just a few friends. We don't really have a Wednesday night meeting, but four or five uh, folks came during the summer on Wednesday nights so that I could just record some of this stuff on prayer, and some of it is on the podcast and the websites already. But uh, what we're doing is a, a, seri a series called Effective Kingdom Prayer Series. I don't have time to go into it all, but Romans or Roman numeral one, there is our series theme verses and quotes. And then uh, you can read those for yourself, but I want to read quote two. Prayer is a dynamic interplay between God and us, whereby his redemptive kingdom purposes are birthed and established. That's really what prayer, that's a, a working definition of prayer. And the key words there is interplay or communion or communication. We tend, what we're going to cover today is the third type of prayer called petition, supplications, request. And most of us know that as prayer. That's the most common type of prayer, both individually and corporately. And uh, we let our requests be made known to God and so forth. But prayer is involves listening and communicating and so forth. So um, we'll get, we're going to actually see that in some definitions of the words for petitions and entreaties uh, later in this message. Roman numero two, I want to review seven kingdom prayer concepts. As you know, we've been doing a series called the Kingdom of God series for a long time. I'm going to get back to that on September 14th. The Wright State students come back, uh, but September 1st, they, the Wright State always works out this way, where they come back, we have our first Rock Campus Fellowship meeting, and then everyone goes home the first weekend because it's Labor Day weekend. So our, uh, September 7th will be the first uh, time we'll start having some, some of last year's Wright State students who come on Sundays back, and hopefully some new ones, as we usually do each year. And that's why we scheduled the picnic for September 7th to... Uh, to be kind of a festive occasion with all the right state students back. It'll be good to see, you know, all those guys. And uh, so uh, on the 14th, I'm going to get back to doing the Kingdom of God series. Until then, I'm going to do this. And I am doing the second message uh, only because that way John can have Saturdays to, to upgrade our website and uh, those kind of things. So... Um, that's why I'm doing two messages. And I apologize that you have to suffer through me twice. I'll be back to just, uh, on September 14th, I'll be back to just teaching at 9.30, and John will teach at the Real Worship Meeting at 10.30. And I'll go back down and teach the Sunday school class for kids at 10.30, which I really love. So uh, there we go. Let's review seven kingdom prayer concepts. First of all, the kingdom of God is the central theme of Scripture. It's a central purpose or pursuit in, uh, in prayer, and it's the central goal of all Christian ministry or service. If you want to find one underlying theme of Scripture, it's the kingdom of God. And if you want to uh, uh, understand what we should be working toward as Christians, it's the bringing thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Secondly, the kingdom of God is the reign, government, rulership, or dominion of God. It's that sphere or realm in which his good and perfect will is willingly enacted. It's not only in heaven, 
but it's on the earth now. Both John the Baptist and Jesus announced the kingdom of God is at hand, or uh, normally the Greek means literally at hand, which was a figure of speech for the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's among you. So uh, often translated that way. Thirdly, God has eternally purposed to express his kingdom or his reign through a nation of people born of one regal head, Christ, in, t- in a time-space world, this present age. Uh, and that's defined more in the Kingdom of God series, chapter 2 and chapter 3a, which are on the website. Uh, you can see Genesis 1, 26 through 28 and, and Genesis 12, 1 through 3 for that. Fourthly, prayer is more or less effective. Isn't that an interesting thought? Prayer is more or less effective. You can pray, and it's not a matter of the t- how much time you put in, but it's a, it's a matter of being more or less effective. And uh, chapter two of this uh, series was called Seven Keys to Effective Prayer, and they're not a, it's not a formula. That's very important. Uh, being effective in prayer is not a result of meeting certain conditions whereby God's obligated, but it's about a lifestyle of walking with him by, by grace, working through faith. Uh, fourthly, or fifthly, God's will is forgiveness. And people always say, well, gee, what's the will of God? First, uh, the, above there in, in the seven keys to effective prayer, First John 5, 14 and 15 says that if anyone uh, prays according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if he hears us, then we know that we have those things for which we've asked. So that's a pretty bold statement in 1 John. Of course, 1 John makes a lot of bold statements. But uh, he's basically saying if we pray according to the will of God, he hears us. And, if he, and we know that if he hears us, we know that which we, that we've prayed for is going to be, is going to be granted. So um, with that in mind, I do know that God disciplines his children. I do know that, that God, there is judgment in the earth and so forth. But God's will, uh, even in his disciplining us as his children, it, he, he doesn't delight in the discipline, as, as Hebrews 12 brings out. He delights in the peaceful fruit of righteousness that comes about from the discipline. And so I think it's safe to say, in a general sense, uh, that what God intends for us as the church to be working for and to be praying for and to have efforts toward is words like forgiveness, repentance, conviction of sin, reconciliation, salvation, deliverance, healing, redemption, visitation of God, the extending of his lordship, which liberates people. Uh, according to the Bible's view, if, in fact, if you really want to become effective evangelistically in our culture, one of the things I'd ask you to give a lot of attention to, um, I, I think uh, in our day, there's a guy named Tim Keller. Most of you are Tim Keller fans already, but uh, he's, he's very good at kind of uh, helping postmoderns hear the gospel in a way they can come to grips with. But what postmodern people want most is freedom. And the Bible's view of freedom, that is the getting of what you want, how you want, when you want, where you want, in any way you want, is the, is, the, is the path to slavery. It's the path to being a slave to your anger management issues, to your 
addiction issues to fears, whatever. When you get what you want, how you want, where you want, however you want all the time, and you don't subject yourself to the grace of God in, in his word or the spirit in the church, if you don't come by grace through faith to Jesus Christ and, and go through his cross to, a new, to be born again to a new life, the, that is actually the worst kind of slavery. And if you want to be effective among uh, what they call millennials and so forth, uh, and really just modern people in general, you need to help them see scripturally the case that that is the worst kind of slavery there is. That's what leads to having a culture of addiction. Fears, insecurities, broken relationships, and our culture is falling apart because we value what we want, where we want, how we want, and, and why we want it in any way we want it. That is the goal of fallen man, and that is what's become the driving force of, of American culture. And uh, that is unfortunately the worst kind of slavery that there is because you become a slave to all sorts of passions and, and emotions and physical vices and whatever. And the message of the gospel is that Jesus came to set you free. Jesus said, whoever abides in my word and my word abides in him, he'll be truly my disciple and he'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he said, whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. You can't really begin to understand temptation until you seriously, you know, many of you know my testimony that I was a drug addict and so forth. And for six months, God was dealing with me about quitting drugs, and I was starting to read the Bible, and I was occasionally attending church and, and uh, these kind of things. But finally, I got to a point where I just said, Lord, I can't quit. I love this stuff. It's been my whole life for six years. It's all I do from the time I get up to the time I go to bed. Uh, I can't. The truth is, I don't even want to want to quit. <laughs> I, 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 and then the Lord set me free. Within three weeks of getting to that point, I never did drugs again. And that's been coming up on my 40th anniversary of that. Thank, thank you, Jesus. But I could have never set myself free. I just could. I was always trying to turn over a new leaf. Of course, I underestimated what it would cost. I'd, I'd say, like, I'm going to do better in school, and I'm going to learn to read, and and uh, these kinds of things. And and then I'd say, I think I'll even get a notebook and take notes. <laughs> like, well, that was a radical step, and uh, and not quite what was uh, would get me to the goal, but. Uh, but it seemed like a radical step to me at the time. So um, that's just uh, the way the grace of God works. First, you got to see your need. Um, God's will is forgiveness, repentance, reconciliation, salvation, deliverance, healing, redemption, visitation, and so forth. His liberating lordship. He wants, he wants to come into people's hearts to give them a new creation that wants the righteousness of God to rule over them. That he wants to give you a heart that's, that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. That's one of the great beginning beatitudes of the Christian faith. And that comes about by being born again in Christ. Uh, sixthly, three ministries of all Christians, if we want to become fruitful or effective at them, then we, they have to be uh, birthed and sustained by prayer. And the three ministries are our ministry to God, our ministry to one another, and our ministry to the lost. And if you can actually continue to think on, in the terms of those three things, it'll actually help you organize your prayer life. 
we are called to first know and love and commune with and be intimate with and adore and follow and obey the Lord himself. That's our first ministry. And we're called to do that as a people together, not just radically individualistically, but you also need to do that in private spiritual disciplines. But secondly, we're called to love one another. You know, I was glad to hear the uh, the announcement of uh, that's um, housewarming party. As you know, that we already gave her a gas grill, as as I say, welcome to the neighborhood. But you know, um, you, you know, this is certainly no requirement of Grace Christian Fellowship. But about half of our members have moved moved into this immediate neighborhood, so that we can minister to the to the children of of these schools, the two schools that we're halfway between on purpose. And uh, now we also want to build a cluster of people that live at a near right state. And lots of our people live in Beaver Creek and Butler Township up north and so forth. But, uh, you know, Beth moved uh, half a mile that way. I lived two tenths of a mile that way. The Grays lived two and a half tenths of a mile that way, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Dave Ann and Taylor lived like four tenths of a mile that way. And uh, the reason we do this is uh, so that kids can stop over the house after, you know, keep, you know, so we can have cheap frozen burritos and frozen pizzas in the freezer. and Kids can stop over, if especially kids that have no one to go home to. There are a lot of kids who no one's home when they get home. And, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of guys, uh, Ed, Edwin is downstairs, I think, with helping uh, with Catherine with the but, you know, when Edwin was in eighth grade, he went to this school. That's how we met him. And he used to come over and get tutored by my kids. And at the time we met him, he was mostly C's, D's, and F's in public schools. A year later, he was all A's. And a year later, this Christian guy that, that knew my son, other son, and wrote this letter to this Christian school, and he got a scholarship to a Christian school. And then he went on to National Honor Society scholarships to college and so forth that that's basically what kids rock and whiz kids are all about so uh that's you know our ministries they have to be birthed in prayer we can have all these programs but if we don't have prayer they will bear little fruit and god wants to increase the amount of fruit they bear now um last thing i want to say seventh thing about kingdom prayer is I want to just say that Jesus taught two main things in prayer. If you look at the Lord's Prayer model in Luke 11, and you look at what he taught in Luke 18, you can look these up in Luke 11 and Luke 18. But he first taught that prayer is about the kingdom. Thy will, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He secondly taught us to persevere in prayer. Prayer is a very hard thing for modern people because it's completely unseen and it's completely spiritual. And it's completely stepping out in a relationship with God. And so, you know, someone, two or three people getting together every Tuesday at 11 o'clock or something, whatever you want to, you know, start a prayer meeting. Uh, it's a hard thing to, to maintain because we can understand busyness. We really can. We can understand programs. We can understand uh, driving here, driving there, meeting up, doing this, you know, painting uh, a lot of people help Beth paint her walls and different things. We, you know, we can understand all that, but it's really uh, a gift of God that comes by grace working through faith, Ephesians 2, 8. Everything of God comes by grace working through faith. It's really a, a gift of his grace to believe in prayer. 
So um, with that in mind, Roman numeral four, I'm going to skip three because I'm running tight on time. We In chapter three, we're looking at what I call five types of prayer that are in the Bible. And we've already taught, on, and they're on the podcast if you want them. Chapters 3a uh, is that reading Scripture as prayer. Prayer is not, prayer is divine communication. Jesus said the mouth speaks out of the abundance that fills the heart. Now, if you're in love with uh, your wife or wife or their husband or you love your children, you want to know their heart. You want to draw them out. You know, when, when they're three or four or whatever, you're, you're, tell me what you're thinking about. Tell me what you're feeling. You're, you're listening. You're drawing them out. And you're encouraging them. Why? Because you want to have relationship with them. You know, there's no secret that I love little Israel, Davion and Taylor's daughter. And I love to talk to her, especially over their house and their living room and, you know, that kind of thing. And she always says things that just delight me because, I mean, like a three-year-old just processes different. And, and it's such a joy. Well, if you want to know God's heart, he's given it to us in his word. If there's something, when you're born again, you will have a hunger or thirst to know the scriptures. It's one of the signs of being born again. You'll long for the pure milk of God's word. Praise and worship is a type of prayer. Ecclesiastes 5 actually says, draw near to listen rather than the, to offer the sacrifice of fools. As you worship, Psalm 22.3 says that the Lord is enthroned upon the praises of his people. As we worship, he, he is, uh, manifests his presence in our midst. And you want to experience him. They say the journey from thanksgiving to praise to worship is worship is when God's presence is so manifest that you're basically awed by his, by his attributes. You begin, to re, you begin to tell him he's holy, you're worthy, you're eternal, etc. So worship is the second kind of prayer. Uh, later, we're going to look at the the. Thir- the Fourth kind of prayer is intercession. We're going to look at all the principles of intercession and all the great intercessors of the Bible. That'll probably take two messages. And finally, we're going to look at spiritual warfare. But today we're going to look at the, the, the kind of prayer we're most common with, or that we most commonly experience, or that we most think about prayer, is being petitions, letting our requests be made known to God. Now, Jason already read some of the scriptures in Roman numeral five, so jump over with me to uh, point A of Roman numerals five. And, you know, I don't like to do this that often, but get into the Greek words. Um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce them. Uh, as you know, I took five quarters of Greek in, in uh, college, and, and uh, I had a private lesson every week with the guy, and that in, you had to uh, take a chapter of Scripture and translate it from Greek into English, and then you had to meet with him and defend your translation. And, of course, Greek is what they call a dead language, but they insist that they know how, to, how it's pronounced based on studying linguistics. And so the teacher would tell me to pronounce this word, and then he'd go, no, no. Then he'd tell, and finally he'd just give up because I, I could, just couldn't pronounce them right. Uh, so I don't even, but it's something like prosuke or something like that. Uh, is prayer addressed to God, a uh, place set apart or suited for the offering of a prayer, a synagogue. So that word... Uh, well, let me read the rest. Place, 
a place in the open air where the Jews were, went to pray outside the cities where they had no synagogue. Such places were situated upon the bank of a stream or the shore of a sea where there was a supply of water for washing of the hands. Now, uh, this might help you as you read the New Testament, uh, especially as you read uh, the book of Acts and understand some of the epistles that um, in the time after the Romans conquered the Jews, but even before the Romans, after Alexander con uh, the Great in the approximately 330 BC uh, conquered what is today Israel or Palestine, uh, during that time, the Jews had been dispersed since the first dispersion of the Northern Kingdom in 722 BC and the uh, second dispersion of the, of the Judah uh, the Jews, the southern kingdom in 586 B.C. And as at the times of Ezra and Nehemiah, a very small percentage of Jews actually came back to Jerusalem and to Israel. And so in, in the times of Jesus, uh, the, the northern area of Galilee was mostly Jews. The, the middle area of Samaria was mostly Jews that had intermarried during the various dispersions or captivities. And therefore, the Jews hated the Samaritans. The southern part, Judea, was mostly Jews. However, uh, the, among the dispersion, that is the Jews dispersed throughout the Roman Empire, since they didn't believe in offering sacrifice except at the temple, a, a system of synagogues developed. And those synagogues were in pretty much every city throughout the Roman Empire, especially the bigger cities and the more famous commercial cities and so forth. And a lot of, of non-Jewish biologically, in other words, they weren't descendants of Abraham and Sarah, uh, people began to convert and be called, be called Hellenistic Jews because they saw the Jews as having a superior moral system in light of the paganism of Rome and the absolute moral chaos that Rome was descending into. So J Judaism was actually growing prior to the coming of Christ and there was most, uh, wherever there was a group of Jews, they would build a synagogue. However, in some cities, there just weren't enough Jews or there wasn't enough finances or they didn't have a benefactor like Cornelius is in, in Acts 9 and 10. And, and like we see in uh, uh, the synagogue official, Jared and so forth in the Gospels. So in some cities, there wasn't a synagogue. So when there wasn't a synagogue, they would pray on the banks of a river or up against a sea because it was very important ritualistically for them, ceremonially, uh, sacramentally, you might say, to wash their hands before they prayed. And that's actually what, how you can understand in Acts where it says that when Paul went to Philippi, there wasn't any synagogue there. And it wasn't just Paul's practice, it was actually Barnabas's practice, Peter's practice, and all, frankly, all the apostolic people who went out to plant churches would always go and proclaim the message of the old covenant is fulfilled in Christ to the synagogue of the Jews in their area. So when Paul goes to Philippi, he actually proclaims this to a group of women who were meeting by the river because uh, there was no synagogue there. So that's actually how that word is often used. It's sometimes translated as prayer, but it's sometimes a place of prayer. Now, I probably, I don't know if I should have developed that. I'm going to jump down to uh, uh, the word, I, again, I don't know how to pronounce these that well, entuxis, the third word there, 
which means a coming together to visit, converse for any cause, an interview, a conference, a conversation, a petition, a supplication. Um, see, there's a, a, a work you can consult called Trenches Synonyms that will help you understand that word better. But that word is used over and over again in the verses that are above that Jason uh, read to us. Now, that's important because it really helps us get delivered from when we th think of terms of petitions and supplications and entreaties uh, and making our request made known to God, we think of a one-way communication. We're telling God our list of what we'd like him to do. But it doesn't mean that at all. It's actually coming into the throne room of God, our, our you know, uh, uh, our Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name, coming in on the basis of relationship of, of sons and daughters of Christ to our Father's throne and understanding all the glory that he's about and praying out of that being seated at the Father's right hand in heavenly places, which Paul gives us both in Ephesians and Colossians. And uh, it's, it's praying out of the heart and will of God, out of the scriptures, it's praying according to the will of God, which we've already covered as forgiveness, redemption, etc. So that's that's really kind of important to see that it's 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 really a when we worship when we pray, I, I love to actually sing a few songs to start praying because I like to posture my heart into the presence of God and say, Lord, what is what is your heart? What is your will? What do you want to do? He's, you know, uh, it's such a temptation to have your own agenda for your family, for your church, whatever, but he's the Lord of the church. And even uh, our three pastor elders, you know, we basically have to submit ourselves to him and say, Lord, it's your church. He said, I will build my church. We don't own the church. The Lord owns the church. The last word I, I want to emphasize the most, and, and I'm running out of time, but it's Eucharistia, which we get Eucharist from, and it means Thanksgiving. Now, in the early church, they practiced the Eucharist on the Lord's Day because the Lord rose on the first day of the week, and his rising was seen as his death, burial, and resurrection was the open triumph over all the principalities and powers of darkness over all the results of sin, the first event of his coming was an eschatological, that is, end times event, whereby his kingdom was established and it began to grow like a mustard seed until it fills the earth. And it's very popular and fashionable in our day to think the church is going to retreat and get this not beat out of it and these sorts of things and, and uh, will there be faith and so forth. And it's really kind of only possible to have that if you're kind of looking at the perspective of Western Europe or America, because the church is exploding throughout the rest of the world, uh, with possibly the exception of Japan. Uh, in most countries of the world, the church is growing and growing and growing at crazy rates. Uh, there's, there's demographers like... Uh, there's a professor named Jenkins from, from uh, Pennsylvania who's written a whole book that his thesis is that the the what that Western Europe and America are becoming irrelevant in terms of centers of Christianity and the centers of Christianity are primarily going to be throughout Africa and South America and other places south of the equator for the most part um, 
you know, Eucharist is basically entering into a thanksgiving that basically says whatever problem I'm dealing with, he has triumphed. And we're saying that as a community. I'm, you know, whether you're grieving your loss uh, from the result of sin or death or whatever, whether you're addicted, whether you're fearful, whatever you're struggling with, in the Eucharist, we proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection until he comes. And he's coming like leaven fills, hidden three loaves until it, and it expands until it fills all the loaves. He's coming as his body, his spirit, his people are going to fill the earth. There will be churches planted everywhere. If you just take one organization like uh, the Wycliffe Bible Translators, they are on track to have a, at least a New Testament translated in every known people group's language within the next 20 years. And, uh, you know, um, Africa was, again, 3 million Christians 115 years ago. It's 315 million Christians now. You know, I just uh, exchanged emails with uh, my good friend, Jason Shung Yoon. Many of you know him because he was here at Wright State for two or three years, and we had Bible studies every week, and I, I, I just loved the man. We became friends. We became, uh, I don't know, he, he became like a son to me, really. And, uh, um, you know, he's now back in communist China, and uh, he actually had never heard of Christianity when he came to the U.S., and I asked him if there were churches in his hometown when we first started meeting. He said he didn't know. Uh, a year or so later, he told me, I've done a lot of research on the Internet, and there are some churches in my hometown. He just sent me an email this week saying, there's lots of churches in my hometown. <laughs> and uh, uh, he was a little surprised at how many there were and how much they were growing. So... Uh, Eucharist is, is basically the idea that the victory has already been won. We're celebrating uh, the Lord's Day because it's the first day. The, the reason the Sabbath was moved by the Christians to the first day is because the first day is the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth and the new creation and the new Jerusalem, which came down from heaven beginning in Christ, extending to the church and is continuing to extend until the earth is filled with his glory and he'll come back to receive a kingdom prepared for him. As truly as I live, says the Lord, all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. That's what we're praying for. That's worth having a prayer meeting over. Now, next, uh, jump down to point B, using prayer tools. I've got just 10 minutes or less. Uh, so some things you can do to stay effective, focused. This is even better when you're if you're thinking in terms of praying, I don't know if you've ever fallen asleep. Anybody ever fallen asleep when they're praying? Don't, don't even tell me. <laughs> I guess, I mean, if you don't raise your hand, you're probably lying, right? Has anybody ever had their mind wander when they're praying? <laughs> and uh, has anybody ever started, especially when you're like fasting, have you ever started out praying and ended up thinking about spaghetti but, uh, <laughs> or pizza or something? Uh, you know, so here's some tools to, to stay focused. Um, one, pray out loud rather than pray quiet. Even when you're by yourself, 
pray standing rather than sitting and never pray laying down unless your hope is to pray yourself to sleep. <laughs> Don't read laying down unless you want to fall asleep either, you know. Uh, but uh, if you're really serious about praying, consider walking around in your, your study while you're praying or your living room or something. Uh, if The second thing is, uh, I meant to put there, pray, pray in groups. You know, there's a time for praying by yourself, and there's a time to pray in a group. Uh, when you're reading the Word if, as a type of prayer, at least sit up. Uh, get a cup of coffee. Chew on ice. Whatever whatever keeps you awake. Don't let any dentists hear this message. They wouldn't like chew on ice. But uh, <laughs> so uh, secondly, make a prayer list. There's Sometimes people get into this idea that if it's from the Holy Spirit, it has to always be spontaneous. The Holy Spirit can inspire you while you sit for a few hours and make a prayer list that you're going to work on off that prayer list the rest of the year. Uh, use the seven inevitable institutions that we that we teach the, uh, as um, a basis for your prayer list. The self-government of a Christian man or woman, the family, the church. That three-legged stool is what needs to be restored if we're going to save any culture. And our culture needs saving not in a just punch a ticket to heaven way. Uh, and, not, and I'm not very political. Uh, frankly, I think it's too late for those kind of solutions. We need to see families restored, marriage restored, churches restored. We need to see uh, something that really has contents that rise, content that rises up from the grassroots up. Um, and of course, you know, the other tools, but uh, education systems, vocation, business, etc. So media and civil government. Pray. You can use that as an organizing tool for your prayer life. Um, prioritize what we call the EPDC, Evangelism Pastoral Discipleship Continuum. In other words, pray that people will come to Christ, that they'll really be converted, that their life, pastoral means that their, that their soul life would become healthy, that, you know, the truth is, all of us, you know, I'm the, maybe the chief of sinners in our church, I don't know, but I hope not. But, what you know, it, um, whatever, we come a mess to the Lord. If you didn't, if you're not a mess, you don't, you're in the wrong church. And, uh, but we come a mess to the Lord, and he helps us. And this pastorally, he helps put our soul life together. We learn how to do marriage well or become good Christian workers or get good study habits. And he puts us back together. You know, he, he, he heals inner wounds. He delivers us from bondages that hold us back. And sometimes these things happen quickly in some Christian lives, and other times they take a long time. But he, that is, he came to set the captives free. So that's a good way to pray. Um, you can prioritize GCF if you want. Uh, we are a small group, so we don't have international resources of TV or television or, or radio. I don't know if I want, would want any of that. But uh, pray for our leadership. Pray for our second tier of leadership that's emerging. And, and uh, pray for uh, our outreaches at the schools and so forth. Uh, you know, we're uh, starting a class for young married couples on parenting skills in, 
in in the nick of time since we have three couples due for a baby in March. <laughs> now, of course, two of those couples, that's their second baby, so we better get at it. But uh, <laughs> uh, the kids are coming. So um, good, good form of evangelism. Uh, use, the last thing there on this list is... Uh, Use prayer guides or websites. People, a lot of people think that like pre-written prayers are just unspiritual or something. You know what? Uh, I gave, I listed a couple sources here, but great prayers of great saints through the century can be a great way to pray. Pray. Uh, and you know, I grew up Roman Catholic, and and there's a, a prayer called the Act of Contrition, which is part of con- repentance and confession and so forth. It's a great prayer. Uh, I listed some resources there, devotional classics by Richard Foster and James Ryan Smith. They're basically just the editors. It's great Christians throughout the centuries, and they give a little bio of each Christian, and then they give some of their prayer life devotional material for you to use. Uh, Operation World is a book that basically has you pray for a different country every day, and you read a little bit about that country and, and the economics of that country and and uh, the government of that country, and especially the state of the church in that country. And then you pray for that country. My, and the Bible says, my house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. These are just some resources you might want to use. And lastly, uh, I've already touched on this, but use the seven inevitable institutions as a prayer tool. Uh, I love Second Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5, because Paul says, finally, brethren... Pray that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly. Pray for evangelism, in other words. Pray for real conversions and real effective fruit. One thing I love about Paul is that he says, finally, at the beginning of that chapter, notice all in, in our on the other page, in, in, at the beginning of chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, he waits till he gets to chapter 2, then he says, first of all, let prayers be done. Like, what's chapter 1 about? Well, chapter 1's this uh, long salutation, I guess. And uh, I love Philippians 3, where uh, he starts with finally, and then there's two more chapters. I'm just saying that so you won't be mad at me that I do the same sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, he, he says finally, and then he, he goes on for two more chapters. I, uh, <clears throat> I wonder if <clears throat> someone reading uh, Philippians ever thought to themselves, I wonder if Paul knows what finally means. <laughs> uh, possibly not. But anyway, that's, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of uh, the whole idea of petitions, supplications, uh, re- and, and request with thanksgivings. And I'm closed by just reemphasizing with thanksgivings. Thanksgiving... Uh, postures your heart toward God to believe when you can't believe. Uh, it postures your heart toward what I call blind faith, where you know all heck is breaking loose in your life. Things are chaotic. Your wife just left you. The, you're, you just got fired. Uh, you, you, uh, someone stole your lottery ticket, and then it comes up. Not that you'd have one. I never bought one before, but I'm just kidding. I'm just uh, joking. And then it comes up that that was the winning number, but, but someone stole the ticket from you. What, you know, things are bad. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know what? When you start to thank God, you may not even be able to... That may be tough, frankly. At times when you're, you know, I, I've lost uh, two brothers. I've 
lost everything 24 years ago, or, you know, et cetera. You may, uh, you may be in a tough time, but if you begin to thank God in the tough time, you'll at least begin to posture your heart to understand his ways. He chastises every son he receives. Everyone he's going to use is going to go through experiences like Joseph, where he overcame the temptation of Potiphar's wife and he got thrown in jail for it. And then he didn't get bitter, so he was so sensitive to the spirit that he interpreted the cup baker, the, uh, the, the baker and the cup, uh, the wine taster guy. He interpreted their dreams correctly, and he told them, don't forget me when you go to Pharaoh. Well, they forgot, <laughs> and he got to stay a few more years. You know, we, uh, if Thanksgiving begins to posture your heart towards God so that he can begin to download to you it, like for James 1, 2 says, consider it all joy when you, cover, when you encounter various temptation trials of your faith. You begin to be able to see the good thing that God's trying to do in your character, in your relationship with him, in your future ministry. Uh, Thanksgiving is really the key to it all. Amen.